Welcome to Managing Projects, the podcast for project managers in search of trends and insights. Join us as our guests dig deep into the thought-provoking topics that matter most to project management professionals. You can find all the episodes at managingprojects.ca. And now, here's your host, Ron Smith. Welcome to the Managing Projects podcast. Today, I have Steve Martin with me, and Steve has appeared on the show once before. He and I spoke about troubled project recovery, and he uh, works with teams in the agile space. So if you haven't heard that episode, that's, that's a fantastic one to go listen to. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about groupthink and ineffective brainstorming. So uh, welcome back, Steve. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you uh, inviting me back to the show, especially with this topic of groupthink and ineffective brainstorming, because it's so related <laughs> to the troubled projects that we talked about. It before. is. And, and there was a temptation that I had to go into that. Um, so I'm glad to have you back because this, this is a topic that, that could take its own episode. Yeah. So when it comes to groupthink, um, the, the, term was coined actually in the early 70s uh, by a researcher, Irving Janis. And what he noticed is there are certain situations where groups of people just make really bad decisions. And one of the quotes that he had from his research, um, he was a little bit pessimistic. And I just love some of the words that he used because it really paints uh, a, a picture. Um, so to quote him and from his study, uh, basically groupthink happens when you've got a group that makes you know bad or faulty decisions because of group pressure. And when you've got that group pressure, it really leads to a deterioration of, and this is the quote, uh, deterioration of mental efficiency, reality testing, and moral judgment. Wow. So, I mean, he's really he going for it here. He punches, does he? <laughs> He is, he's not mincing words. He's just basically saying these groups, when they get together, they're so into it. They just really ignore alternatives. They're convinced they're right. And when you have these decisions that are shaped uh, by groupthink, they really have a low probability of success. So he, he's really pointed with these words there. Uh, but there are certain conditions, you know, that tend to foster some groupthink. And that's when you've got folks that might have a similar background. And what I mean by this is, you know, folks that all come from the same university or from the same program. Um, so if you've got folks that are from the same regional area, you know, singular gender, singular race, race or ethnicity, or, or a singular background, anything like that, that tends to foster some groupthink. Some other conditions are if they're insulated or just completely protected or siloed from outside opinions. They're just on their own. They're just doing their thing. They're empowered. They're on their way. And they got no clear rules to make decisions. They're just going to go for mm. it. But even when you have those three things, whether it's you know similar background, they're insulated or siloed, and they have no clear rules, what really you know cements it together is that they have a high degree of pressure to produce something and there is a low motiva low motivation or a low incentive to realistically look at things outside of what they already know. They're under pressure. They have to drive to results and they have to drive to results right now. And so they're not going to take the time to look outside of their circle to get those opinions. 
And, you know, making sure diversity doesn't mean just to have one token person on that team. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, when you do this, you actually have to create the team in a way that is going to enable those uh, diverse opinions to actually, A, be heard, and B, be considered. And so just having ha having one person on there, that that's just not going to do it. Can you talk to us a little bit about the whole devil's advocate? Does that play into the group think? Yeah. So when you start taking a look at raising alternative uh, opinions or alternative suggestions, again, if you're under high pressure, you tend to get more of the groans in the room. <laughs> or if you or if you've got a group that says I don't even want to be in this meeting in the first place I just want to do my job right. why are we I here I think that's part of it every <laughs> so every person that speaks up is just preventing me from doing what I really want to be doing you know whether it's coding or you know designing or whatever right. it is you know you know I've seen some groups put in things like well we're going to have a mandatory devil's advocate right <laughs> Right. You know, like, all right, this week, Pat, you're going to be the mandatory designated devil's advocate. You need to actually have someone who has a genuine devil's advocate perspective and be able to argue it with a degree of um, interest and a degree of coming from the place of wanting to make this better. And that's why there's there's this concept of what my what one of my colleagues called uh, being a skunk at the garden party, <laughs> which is you very similar to a garden party. Yeah, so it's very similar to like a devil's advocate. But this is somebody that is, that's personally vested because sometimes I invite these people to these meetings, and people look at me like, "Why would you invite this person?" <laughs> right, right. Be because I know, I know. A, that they may not like me, <laughs> and B, they have an opinion. <laughs> and I think if you yeah. invite this person and you can have them bring a friend so it's, just, so it's not like six people on one, where you can create the atmosphere of pros and cons uh, to have a collaboration as opposed to just a combat, you, you can get to where it is that you need to go. But here is my advice to that skunk at the garden party. Don't go in there with the attitude of, I'm going to disagree with everything that you got to say. Right. Because chances are there is going to be at least one or two things that I actually, that you, you know, that skunk actually agrees with. Start with that. Hey, I like this or I like this. I think that's in the right direction. I do something called the perfection game. This is what I learned from my mentor when I was learning how to facilitate. Um, the perfection game is this I like this what would make this perfect would be if you also did or what would make this perfect is if you just tweaked this this way mm, and you're, add, so, you're adding you're complimenting yeah and so it's that old game of replacing but <laughs> i love this but whoop, there goes the flags and the reason why i think that is this now, are people going to listen to that, you know, 100% of the time? No, it's going to be one of those trust things that over time you're going to build. But I've actually had skunks at the dinner party turn into actually advocates for the team over time. Uh, they are a great advocate, right? Because yes. they are someone who's been turned and who was not shy to be talking about the topic in the first place. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Mm. So we got groupthink, and then in the midst of that, we've got brainstorming. So how do you do brainstorming knowing that you don't want groupthink? So when you start to think about the history of brainstorming, the brainstorming idea actually came from an ad executive from the 1950s. And so that's how long this, this quote, concept has been around. And, you know, 70 years later, folks are still trying to hang on to the concept of that brainstorming is the way to go to generate new ideas. What this guy, Alex Osborne, said in the, in the 1950s when it came to brainstorming was, you know, throw out as many ideas as possible. Don't worry about feasibility, about the craziness. Build on ideas and don't criticize. But what we found <laughs> when we do this, it actually doesn't work so well. Actually, the research that has, you know, been basically proven time and time again is that brainstorming to generate ideas in this manner, groups that do this actually come up with less ideas and of lower quality than if you were just to sit in there by yourself and come up with ideas in a silo all That's by yourself. Surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So brainstorming actually yields some really poor results, which is, which is really, you know, it's just one of those things of um, when you start looking at groupthink and you start looking at individualistic behavior, there's actually four behaviors that as individuals, it actually impacts the group. And if you're doing a group brainstorming session, these things uh, really take into account, like, for example, if you have an individual bias against something or towards something, when you get into a group, whatever that bias is, it's going to be amplified. And so whenever you start talking about a certain idea or concept, you can have it a bias as an individual, but when you start talking about it with that group, and especially if you're like-minded, you're going to become more polarized in that view. You know, this was really kind of interesting in one of the studies uh, that one of the researchers did. Uh, this was back in uh, just around 2015 or so. They called it the Colorado experiment because they held this uh, in Colorado. Uh, the researchers did a study of a fairly controversial medical procedure and they gave a poll to two different groups of folks folks from colorado springs which tend to be more conservative and folks from boulder colorado which tend to be more liberal and so they answered their views as individuals about you know this medical procedure and then what they did is they got people together like in a town hall. If you're from Colorado Springs, you went here. If you're from Boulder, you went there. And then you started to discuss with people of like-minded views. They went back and as individuals, they took that same poll again. Well, they found that the results became more polarized. <laughs> wow. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. So if you are in a group of folks and you know you start going down a certain direction you're trying to brainstorm you're going to go into that direction of whatever that bias is because the mm. third thing that we find you know especially when you start doing brainstorming as a group right out of the gate is that there's this concept of anchoring whoever says the first statement that's an anchor and the next statements that come after that are in relationship to whatever that first statement is and so um, wherever that first statement is, that's, that's where you're going to follow. And right. typically, the fourth thing is that wherever that anchor comes in is typically something that they know already. It's something that they know. 
<laughs> so it's they're going to emphasize something that's a prevailing concept that they already know. Everybody gets it. Yeah, we get this. We don't have to talk about it. We know this, and we're going to anchor over here, and we're not going to go for it. And so that's why we come up with different techniques to make brainstorming a little bit better. And that's where I try to say, you know, let's let's kind of maybe change the word from brainstorming. What if we called it something like idea generation? And there's okay. so many different places where we do idea generation over the course of either a project or creating a product. You know, idea generation comes, you know, probably mostly in some sort of requirements or features or figuring out whatever it is that our customer needs. There's a lot of ideas that come up with that. Same thing with design. There's a lot of things that come up with that. How we test, there's a lot of ideas that come up with that. And so if we always go in with what it is that we know, and you're going to follow the actions and statement of whatever prevailing bias, and you're going to go into that direction anyway, you're, you're just really missing the idea generation concept is how do you do something new or innovative if you're just going to go down the route that you've always been? Hey, this is Ron. I've been an Audible member for a long time. I'm taking a short break from the interview to let you know how you can support the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. If you haven't checked it out, you need to. You're missing a really good thing. It's been a very valuable tool for me over the years to catapult my learning. By signing up for a free trial at Audible, you will be supporting this podcast. So try it out. It's a fantastic service. Find the sign-up page by visiting managingprojects.ca forward slash audible. That's managingprojects.ca forward slash audible. Now back to the interview. So what does idea generation look like? How would you run a group through that process? Well, there's a couple different ways that you can do this. Um, when I work with organizations that are looking at products or are trying to think of what's the next set of features or whatever it is that our customers want, I tend to do it in a two-stage process. In the first stage, it's about generating ideas as an individual. And then the second stage is sharing those ideas that you came up with as, as, as an individual, grouping those ideas, and then you know, figuring out, prioritizing, which group should we go after first. And so when you go into, for example, an agile workroom, there's a reason why there's a lot of techniques of them using post-it notes. Because as an individual, if you can write ideas down one by one as an individual, and then you throw them up on a wall, you will actually get more ideas, higher quality, and of greater diversity than if you were just to shout them out and only have one or two or three people really drive the conversation. That's how I do my risk identification on projects. So I use post-it notes. People write it down quick. They have a very short yeah. time frame, but then we're done. We're done writing it down at that point. Everybody has written it down, maybe in like three or four minutes. Yeah, and I typically limit it to around a four-minute time period. You and do. Okay. Yeah, I do. And then once they're on the wall, the next thing that I do is, and this is the tough part, um, silently, silently <laughs> have the whole group of, you know, nine or 10 people, whoever came up with the ideas, go up to the wall and start group them into certain um, uh, groupings that they come up with. So if there's a theme 
of you know risks about you know a technology stack okay those they'll group them over here if there's risks around resources okay we'll put it around here if there is risks around certain dates or market drivers okay we'll put them over here but I'm gonna have them do that if you have them do it silently and that's the trick um, you start tapping into other forms of communication. And I know this is really crunchy granola. Yes, I was born in California. <laughs> but what happens here is you start to look at people's body language and how they're reacting to things. And when they can't talk and you get to see how tense somebody's body is and they just I want to put it here, but you're not letting me put it here, you get to observe that and you can have a discussion about those things. So the third part of the exercise is coming together and saying, all right, these are the groupings. Do these make sense? But if there are things that people feel very strongly against, that's the conversation I want to have. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on stuff we already agree. And then, of course, the last step is, okay, of all these things here, which ones do we feel are most important? You know, and there's a couple different, quote, voting techniques that you can do, you know, dot voting or, you know, secret ballot voting or put it into a survey monkey and do a survey monkey. You know, there's a bunch of different things that you can do. I, I like dot voting because you just get it done and done. It's right there in the room. So in one of your presentations, you mentioned the 635 technique. Basically, imagine you've got a group of six people, and each person has a sheet of uh, flip chart paper in front of them. So you've got six pieces of flip chart paper, six people. Okay. And so what you do is you put one person in, free, in, in, in front of each uh, flip chart, and you okay. say, okay, here is the problem that we want to solve. All six of us want to solve the same problem. Okay, as an individual, write down three or so ideas and stick it on your sheet of paper. Give them a minute or two to do that. So at the end of that minute or two, each sheet of paper should have roughly three um, sticky notes on it. Then everybody says, okay, take one step to the right. So I'm now looking at the person who just put three ideas up there before me. Okay, mm -hmm. we're gonna do this again. Take another minute or two. Look at those three ideas. Don't consider your ideas. Leave them there. Consider these three ideas that somebody else came up with and start building off of those three. You have two minutes to build off those three. Right. And so at the end of that second round, you now have six ideas. Take another step <laughs> to the right. Okay, now you're looking at six ideas from the first two people in front of you. Again, don't look at what people have done before. Leave that behind. Look at those six ideas that you have right now and add three more to it. Build off of what they have. And so when you do this, uh, you're taking five steps to the right. That's where that five comes from in that uh, 635. You come oh, back okay. to your original sheet of paper. You now have 18 ideas all built off of your original three. And cool. if you've got six people times 18, you have roughly, you know, just under 110 ideas. That's in a lot about, of ideas. In about 15 minutes. Then you can start getting into the grouping exercise. Then you can start getting into the dot voting exercise. But this is another idea, generation technique, building off of previous people's ideas. 
Now I tend to do something like this if we've got more of a uh, completely blue sky or green field or completely, hey, everything is wide open. Right. Or I sometimes do this if I want to get role clarity uh, for people on a team. Okay, business analysts, these are your roles. <laughs> Project managers, these are your roles. If you've got a team member, this is your role. If you've got a quality person, this is your role. If you're uh, somebody representing the business, this is your role. You know, and each person would have their own flip chart piece of paper. So it's, it's just, again, one of those ways to very quickly come up with ideas from multiple perspectives. So the first time we had you on, we talked about troubled project recovery, and that was a really great chat. And, and I almost jumped into the groupthink topic then. So connect for me this whole groupthink in the midst of this troubled project recovery. Yeah, so I typically like to use the, uh, the Delphi technique, uh, which is the coming up with a number of ideas as individuals and then popping them up there. When I do something like that, I tend to not ask the questions of troubled projects of, well, what what made this troubled, you know, because again, that's, right. that's focusing on the negative. What I try to do in this case here to generate ideas is I might ask a question like, what advice would you give to somebody joining the team? <laughs> run. <laughs> <laughs> and if the answer is run, why? Huh. You know, because I, I don't want to say no idea is a bad idea, but right. if somebody if somebody's going to give an answer like that, everybody's entitled to an opinion. I mean, well, you, you know, you'll probably I, get that one out of <laughs> out of humor, if nothing else. Yeah, right. you but know. I get it. No, that's cool. <laughs> you know, and there's there's some things you know that I put on there, like you know what what are some tools that would be helpful for you? Well, my goodness, it's uh, it's great to talk to you again. Second time we've had you on. I'm going to put your contact information in the show notes. For people who are listening, just let people know how they can get a hold of you or see what you're up to. Yeah, so you can take a look at my website. It's at www.cottagestreetconsulting.com. That's all one word, cottagestreetconsulting.com. Or you can email me at steve at cottagestreetconsulting.com. And when you go to my website, you'll see a couple things up there that might be of interest. Uh, since I do speak quite a lot at different conferences and write quite a lot of white papers, there's a lot of my presentations and white papers that are up there for you to download for free. And then I also have a list of my upcoming speaking engagements, public workshops, as well as my private workshop list, uh, where you can either click on those, register right away, or you can contact me through my email and we can talk about some private on-site things. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Managing Projects podcast. Find show notes and more at managingprojects.ca and follow us on Twitter at manage underscore P-R-O-J. If you enjoy the show, help us out by recommending it to a friend or leaving a review on iTunes. Talk to you next time.